As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. If you're going to property manage it like yourself, like I am now, it's already budgeted in there. And at the end of the year, if you still haven't hired anybody to do it and you're doing your own, you've got a sweet little 10%, whatever dollar it is there in your pocket that you can either use for the next place. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? You need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available. Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? Your loyal best ever listener, the founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times and they have been a previous sponsor and they love working with the best ever listeners and they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Dan Plant. How you doing, Dan? Great. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing well and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Dan. He has flipped two houses for a good profit and we'll get some specifics on that. Then during the second flip, guess what happened? Him and his wife, they had a kid. And as a result of having the kid, well, he has shifted his focus from more active fix and flipping to more passive investing. And they just closed on their first triplex. Now their goal is to have $50,000 a year cash flow within five years. He still currently has a job as a corporate environmental manager He's got a BA in chemistry and an MBA. He's based in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I was just telling him before we started recording, a good friend of mine and his wife and kid just moved to Fort Wayne. So we've got that in common. With that being said, Dan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, no problem. Basically, I did the normal path through high school and college, went down to Indiana University in Bloomington to pursue chemistry. I was actually thinking pre-med. I got about two years into that and realized I didn't want nothing to do with that. But it's too late to switch major. So basically closed it out with the plan of getting an MBA afterwards to not limit myself for careers in the future. So I did that. 
in the meantime, my wife and I got married. I've been married for, I believe, seven years now. And I started working for a company that does cycling outfit in northern Indiana here. was a plant manager for a couple of years. Good job, but it was basically at the top of the totem pole unless I wanted to take ownership, buy into the company, and that really wasn't in my plan. So I started looking for another job and, and found that what I currently do, which is basically a regulatory manager for a large iron foundry company out of northern Indiana here. And in this whole time since 2007, I was not in the game, so to speak, in 2007, but I saw what happened. And I think hopefully everybody that wasn't didn't have their eyes closed was seeing what was happening. And not only with real estate, but also just the overall economy. And I just felt like there's no way to trust a W-2 job at a corporation. Not that they're bad people, not that they don't plan on being there forever, but we saw General Motors, the biggest company in the world at one time, going to bankruptcy, you know. And I just started thinking, I got to get a side game, kind of like your Uber commercials, your side hustle going on. And so we started looking at this flipping houses. We did one. Would you like me to kind of? Yeah, absolutely. Please, please do. Okay. We did one. It was a kind of a secondary type deal. It was a foreclosure, a company that I'm not sure what you call them, but out of Florida that must just buy swaps of these houses throughout the country, bought it, slapped some lipstick on it, put it back on the market for, you know, I don't know, five, ten thousand $10,000 more than what they had bought it just to get in and out of there in a couple months and make a little money. So we bought it from them. I think we had it $40,000 was the purchase price. And obviously we leveraged this. It was a commercial loan. It was not a 30-year fix or anything because when we're flipping, the goal was to have it for such a little amount of time that having a little bit higher interest rate on a commercial loan because you don't have to jump through all the hoops that you do for 30-year loans that are going to go on the secondary. What do you mean by commercial loan? Like a portfolio lender? Basically a, a local credit union. Okay. So I want to say that the terms were... And this has been four years ago now, so I, I'm trying to be as accurate as I can. But I believe typically that he, being the loan officer there, has been really good to work with there, does five-year, 20-year AMORT on them, and you're in the low to mid-5%, so higher than the 30-year. But the fact that you can call the guy, say, hey, we got this project, and he trusts you enough to say, okay, we'll do it, assuming that appraisals prove out and everything like that, it's just worth the time savings to me okay. at least. And it's 25% down. So we go in, we do that, put in maybe 20000 into it, turn around and sell it for 80000 I believe. So at the end of the day, after taxes, kind of my back of the napkin stuff here, I apologize, I don't have our actual accounting stuff up, but it was about a 50% profit, and that's after tax. So I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to get rich doing this, but this is a pretty sweet deal. So, but as a novice investor and, and a mistake that I made, we decided it was time for us to build a house to live in, which sidetracks just based on not just the money you're putting down, it's, it's the time involved, and then also working a full-time job. So about two years went on, nothing more, just keeping my eye on the basically MLS and LoopNet and some of these other websites you go to. One pops up, it was another foreclosure in Huntertown, Indiana, which is just a little suburb of Fort Wayne. It's got a great school system, so people really want to live there. And bought that for 35, put 20, 25 in it. We sold it for 78. You bought it for how much? 25? 35. Oh, 35,000. Yep. Okay. Same structure as the other one, the small loan, the five year, 20 year amortization loan. 
So basically after tax profit, we were looking at about 50% again. We haven't paid the taxes on that one yet. We just sold it earlier this year. But it's- Yeah, and just so I'm getting the numbers right, you said 35 bought it for. You said you put in about 20. Is that right? Yes. And what did you sell it for? 78. Okay, 78. And the profit's based on my cash in, not necessarily the purchase price. Sure. Uh, so it did really well again. I mean, I think we've got, my wife and I have kind of got a nose for these properties, but this area is, I don't know if there's a half a million people that live in the several county area. So it's a good market, but it's not a market where every day you can wake up and go find a deal like this. Perhaps they're out there, but working a full-time job, we just weren't seeing a lot of them come across the standard channel as well as we had our baby boy. And I said, this is it. We've got to switch the game plan. <laughs> so here we are today. I want to talk about what you're doing today, but before we do that, let's talk about how you're able to make your money back plus 50% about on each of the two flips. What would you say that you did well that allowed you to make that type of profit on the deals because they were your first two, so that's really starting strong? And I'll be honest, I'm glad you asked that. And I think it's something that for a fairly young guy, 34, I don't want to preach, but one thing that I really believe in is that you got to think critically about stuff, really no matter what part of life you're in. And some of the things I do would be, obviously I did a lot of research, a lot of reading the books, the standard books that everybody talks about, just learning the ins and outs, trying to learn metrics to figure it out. But the big kind of really basic thing that has really helped me out the most is just question everything. When you bring in somebody to put flooring in, and they give you a price that's say $5,000, but in your mind, you thought it would be closer to like 2000 You say, wait a minute, no, I'm not a carpenter, but something's funny here. And have another quote come in or utilize buddies that maybe you have a plumbing job coming in. I don't mean cheap Charlie, but utilize his expertise if you're getting outside quotes or if you're going to have him do it. Just utilize what you have available to you and think critically. If something seems funny, even if you're a virgin to this, chances are it is funny. There's something up. So that's really what I attribute it to. That might be kind of a simplistic answer, but I don't believe it has to be difficult. And that's really what's helped me. I just think by doing it that way and really thinking critically about it, I've been able to learn real quick certain aspects of it. Okay, this old house has knob and tube. I'm going to have to have somebody come in and fix it. In the past, an electrician could have come in and said, I need 50 grand for this. And I would have been a deer in the headlights. Okay, who am I to argue? Well, now I know that that's way off base. And I can feel much more comfortable when I'm calling an electrician to look at it. And I don't have to spend as much time this time around because I kind of have a basis. I'm not recommending you try to become an expert in electrical issues and plumbing and carpeting and all that. But you go through it once kind of really deep and get into the weeds, and then from there on, it increases your comfort level, and you can make better decisions. Are you taking notes, like physically taking notes, when you are doing the Q&A sessions? I do. I have a book that I keep with me all the time. It's just a little book with a strap around it that I can keep on me and just jot little notes day to day, and I will in there. You know, price, this plumber's more expensive, but he's going to give me the Cadillac of water heaters, so maybe that's worth it. And I'll make notes like that, but I do not have a standardized, spreadsheet or, or process. It's a lot of it's just in my head and in this notebook. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about how you've shifted gears with the triplex and more passive investing. And are you managing the triplex? I am. 
Okay, all right. So we'll use the term loosely passive. It's less active. How about we say that? <laughs> it's less. I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So let's hear about the triplex and tell us the numbers and maybe why you agree with that statement. Okay, well, the thought was kind of always to go into rentals. I shouldn't say always, but we knew that hours in the day were going to get tight once we had our boy. So it was kind of in the back of my head while I was finishing out that flip. And we got to the end of the summer of 2016. And we put on the market, knowing that that was kind of a bad time. Towards the end of the summer, the end of the buying season, plus with the election coming up, our realtor was saying they weren't seeing a lot of action. People are just kind of waiting to see what played out. So we weren't getting a lot of any offers, any decent offers, let's put it that way, on the house for maybe a month or two. It was on the market. And I said, you know what? Let's pull back. Let's retrench here. I'm going to rent it out till next spring when the market's hot again. Hopefully we don't see the market correction that we don't think is coming in the meantime. And... I suppose lucky. We found a really good renter that was building their house, a very wealthy couple that was building a dream home out in the country and just needed somewhere to live in the meantime because their old house had sold. So those were about the easiest tenants in history. And so I'm thinking, man, this is easy. Let's just parlay this place. We'll sell it, take profit, buy a triplex, fourplex, something like that that we can feel comfortable to bite off at this early stage in the game. So we went there, did that, founded triplex in another suburb before we called Columbia City. A kind of blue collar type community. We were really trying to stay away from downtown Fort Wayne area. It's a really nice area. A lot of improvements going on down there. Sports arenas, new apartment complexes, stuff like that. But the areas that are hot are really hot. And the areas that are not hot are fairly slums. I don't want to be derogatory to anybody, but kind of a slummy areas. As well as I have kind of a mentor that has some properties there. And he said that he has a heck of a time getting bad tenants out. Just a more, I suppose, liberal court set up there. So anyway, that's why we're kind of focusing on the suburbs. But this property, I believe they wanted 75. We offered lowballed, and not lowballed to be rude, but lowballed what we thought the value was uh-huh. at 65. They counted at 70. We took it. Then through some later things that come up in the inspection, I said, hey, this is going to cost me some money. I hate to retrade on my first deal, and I know it's just a little deal, but... This means real money to us. And so we got it back down to the 65 that we originally wanted. All the tenants were inherited. Two great tenants. One tenants that's we're dealing with this kind of hairy situation, but they're (laughs) there and they're paying. (laughs) What's the situation? Just they didn't have an active contract with the seller like the other two did. So what I did is I took our contract. We had a lawyer help us with. Took it to the two people that already had an active contract. I said, look, there's no deposit because I got the deposit from the old owner for you guys. We're not raising your rent for the first year. You know, I was very clear about stuff. And they were happy with that. And they just signed it and said, basically, let's just take it from where it was. And with a couple of new stipulations in our contract. But the people that did not have an active contract, I took it to them and said, you know, you guys need a deposit. You need to do the application process. I need uh-huh. to go through that. We have a background check, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, all that credit background, all that. Well, they don't have the money to do that, right? Because it costs 25 or 35 bucks a person to do that. And it's just been a kind of a battle like that. But every mm-hmm. month they pay their rent. So I'm kind of at the point where does it make sense to boot them so you can get somebody in there that you're more comfortable with? Or do I really want to make waves right now? It's a little more difficult with these guys, but they're paying their rent. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just, I just kind of an inner battle. I'm trying to decide which way to go on that one. What are you leaning towards? I was leaning towards letting them stay in. I kind of got comfortable with them, had no problem with it. I was a little upset about the way it was going, but 
I don't pretend to know where they are in their life and what their situation is. So I was going to try to be lenient. But then I went out there to do some work on the exterior and had to knock on the door to get an extension cord in that front door. Two people were sleeping in there on the floor that I'd never seen before. I mean, it was very what you would expect to see in a D-class area, and this is anything but that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm really mm-hmm. leaning towards getting them out of there. I just got to make sure I do it appropriately because this would be our first time doing that. Uh-huh. I don't want to just go in there and guns a-blazing and say, get the hell out of my house. And yep. So I'm just working through that right now. And what are the total rents? That's another side point why I haven't wanted to boot these guys for sure yet is they take care of the lawn. That was the deal we made. They like working in the yard. I said, well, you know, I'll knock 30 off your monthly rent, which is way cheaper than that I get a landscaper to do it for. But I believe I'm at about 12.80 a month total rent for that place. And I'll say 12.50 because I did take 30 off for them to take care of the property, but or the exterior. But the two units are responsible for their electric, most are utilities. One unit, I pay everything because the water heater is electric and it supplies water to all the units. So I couldn't have him paying for everybody's hot water and the electricity for it. So we are in the process of having natural gas hooked up to the house so I can get the water heater on natural gas instead of replumbing it. We're just going to bite that off, say, okay, it's going to be 100 bucks a month in natural gas. But I'm sorry, tenant number one, but now you've got to eat your own utilities like everybody else. And that'll be a, about a $3,600 a year shot in the arm. Mm. There's a lot of ifs in there. <laughs> that, that's the plan right now. Yeah, it might be a rocky road to get there, but eventually there will be some pavement. Absolutely. I don't pretend that the uh, <laughs> tenant's just going to say, oh, okay, and I'll keep my same rent. So there's going to be some stuff, but we'll work through it, I think. So that one kind of simmered down. Then we are on contract for an additional duplex in another suburb of Fort Wayne called Auburn. Is actually where I work, so it makes it much easier to keep an eye on this property. And this one, we got a beautiful deal on it. And I don't know if we have time or if we're kind of running long here. Yeah, let's talk about it real quick. Just the high-level numbers and how you found it. Okay. Driving. My wife's a teacher, so in the summer, she's not working. Her and my son come, and we have lunch sometimes, go to the park, whatever, in Auburn there. We were driving to the park. She came by and picked me up. We were driving over there and saw it for sale by owner's side. Man, I don't want to bite anything off right now. We just did this triplex. I need to let this settle. But then, you know, just kind of my curiosity got the best of me. And I called it. Guy wanted 65, went and looked at it. I said, man, there's a lot of work. I can't give you more than 40. I don't want to be rude, so I'm just going to step back. And he said, tell you what, I'll do 45. And I redid some numbers, and I said, okay, we'll do it. And kind of our bogey that we're always trying to hit is, depending on the class of the area, we try to stick in the B area. I want about 25000 to 30000 a unit. Once it's rent ready. Mm-hmm. So since this was going to have some additional cash infusion needed, this one with the knob and tube issue with electric and some other water damage and whatnot that I think must have scared the other people off. But this one does not have tenants. It's going to be kind of a gut job. But since we did the flips in the past, I'm pretty comfortable that we can dial in the numbers fairly close. And this area is really kind of a regentrifying area. There's a lot of money being poured into this little town called Auburn. So I'm really excited about this one. We should be closing here in about two to three weeks. And you found it just driving by. Just driving by. It's amazing how little things like that happen. It's something as simple as a kid riding his bike, kicking that sign over, and I never would have seen this place. Hmm. But uh, we did, and here we are. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? A lot of people give these kind of 
30,000 foot, be nice to people type. And I totally agree with that, but I'm new to this and I'm a little young to be given overarching advice like that. So I thought I'd just say for new investors, make sure you're budgeting for property management and CapEx, period. Everybody knows about maintenance, taxes, blah, blah, blah. But that property management, even if you're going to property manage it like yourself, like I am now, I have no idea what the statistics are, but I have to imagine you're going to find out like I do that that's not what you want to do going forward. I may be wrong. You know, a lot of people may be the opposite, but that way it's already budgeted in there. And at the end of the year, if you still haven't hired anybody to do it and you're doing it your own, you've got a sweet little 10%, whatever dollar it is there in your pocket that you can either use for the next place or take your wife out, take your kids out. Cause don't kid yourself. This takes time away from your family to do this stuff. And I just think that that would be my kind of a, a nuts and bolts type advice. With your CapEx projection, what do you allocate for it when you're buying something? How do you do that? I was doing 8%. 8% of one what? Of these books that I've read of total gross rents. And that would be based on if it was 100% occupied. I take out an occupancy allowance after that aspect because if I got to replace a roof, it's going to cost the same whether there's two tenants in a triplex or all three are there. Mm. That doesn't magically create money, but it helps me be prepared. And then I really use 8% across the board, CapEx, maintenance, project manager. I would almost suggest going to 10%, especially in our market where costs are pretty cheap. So a project manager here admittedly is cheaper than in California, but not as much cheaper as our property is. <laughs> so you, you got to make up for that. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about, do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there, too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com. Best ever book you've read. It is called The Real Book of Real Estate by uh, Robert Kiyosaki. A lot of people give the Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That one kind of reinforced something that was in me. I always wanted to make money with my money. So I, yeah, it was a good book. But this Real Book of Real Estate, was I believe it was just a free book of his. I found it online where he brought together his Rich Dad advisors, like 20 of them. And they each do a short chapter on their expertise. And it was really a couple lights went off in my head that, man, a simpleton like me can make money at this. What's the best ever deal you've done so far? Both of those flips really worked out pretty even. I would say the second one because it was much quicker. And I turned it and I completed the flip process, the renovations in four or five months, even though it took about nine months to sell since we waited. But the other one we sat on for at least a year, going through the work and then marketing it and dealing with some survey issues took quite a while. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? It all ties back to the not budgeting appropriately for CapEx and property management. In that triplex, 
I budgeted for it, but not as much as I should have. We're still going to make great money on it, but not the home run that I was hoping. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Again, it's pretty simple. I'm on Bigger Pockets as well as just an email, dplant, and the number 13. It's just D-P-L-A-N-T, 13 at Gmail. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Email is the best way. All right. Well, Dan, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about how you've done your evolution based on, well, family priorities and wanting to spend more time with your family. So instead of doing the fix and flip stuff, you've now transitioned into the not as active investing with triplexes and multifamily properties, how you're finding deals, just driving around. And then also how you're able to have success on the first two fix and flips when you were doing them. And one thing you would attribute that to is questioning everything, get to know the process. There are no or very few stupid questions. I think if you ask the same question five times in a row, then it's a stupid question. But other than that, there are no stupid questions. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for walking us through this. Thanks for giving specific examples of properties. Hope you have a best ever day, Dan. We'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you very much, Joe. The Target Market Insights Podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at TargetMarketInsights.com. That's TargetMarketInsights.com.